Welcome to this episode of the Modern Day Missionaries Podcast. Today, I'm so pleased to have with us Drs. Bill and Christy Galtier. They are both doctors of psychology, and they are the founders of Soul Shepherding, which is a beautiful ministry that serves pastors, leaders, missionaries, churches, and really anyone wanting to thrive with Jesus in emotional and relational health. At the Soul Shepherding Institute, they offer retreats, they offer a certificate for becoming a spiritual director, and a wealth of resources. These two can content create like nobody I know. Uh, they have a podcast called Soul Talks. They've got a ton of books. They're authors. I've got their latest one, which we'll be talking about today, which is Healthy Feelings, Thriving Faith. And so I'm just really pleased to introduce Bill and Christy to you today. We're going to be talking with them about the importance of having healthy emotions in order to have a thriving faith. So we're getting into emotions. Whether you're a big fan of emotions or you don't like emotions, stay with us because we'll be talking about all of that, about why they're important, how recognizing them and identifying them can help us, and how we can use them to really grow in our relationship with Jesus, with ourselves, and with others. But first, I want to let you get to meet Bill and Christy. So I'm just going to ask Bill and Christy some fun personal questions to get us going. You guys ready? We're ready. What is your favorite song from your teenage years that you just kind of still love to rock out to when nobody else is listening? <laughs> well. One of mine is by David Meese, and it's almost Christmas time. And so it's fun for me this time of the year because this is the time of the year where I really can play it and enjoy it. Yeah. Special memory for me. I, I can't, don't even know. <laughs> I can't remember. There probably isn't one. So. Yes, there is. I know because I, I kind of knew the teenager. What a John Michael Talbot song. I did like John yeah. Michael Talbot. That's yeah. true. Yeah, I did sort of a fleeting fantasy of becoming a monk. <laughs> Thankfully, he didn't go that route. <laughs> that would have been a very different life. I also yeah. listened to yeah. Resurrection Band, which was hardcore uh, rock, <laughs> Christian rock. So, I, yeah, it's, I'm not easy to figure out. Uh, I, I, I watch uh, football games, and, and then I, I read about Trace of Lousseau, one of the old um, <laughs> women nuns. So I'm diverse, I guess, or a contradiction. <laughs> Yes. You're a mystery. You're a mystery. <laughs> so speaking of books, what is one book that you're each reading right now or that you've read recently that you enjoyed? I just finished reading Andrew Murray's book on humility. Such a, a great read, deep read, really good read for me as an Enneagram too, where my roots in is pride and the virtue for me to grow in in Christlikeness is humility. So it was a great aid to me. I am uh, reading for the second time. I usually read books twice, uh, especially spiritual classics, the old uh, books on devotion to Jesus. And so I'm reading a book called Pustinia by Catherine Doherty from about uh, uh, 50 years ago. And uh, she was a, a Catholic writer from uh, Russia, which was born, raised in Russia, came over to Canada, and then the U.S. Pustinia is the uh, Russian. Uh, a spiritual director's hut or cabin that they live in on the outside of a village and they pray for the village and get spiritual direction for people to build it. And I read books like that because it helps me to uh, to slow down, to be more prayerful, more reflective, uh, just to remember the, the, uh, the heartbeat of why I do what I do uh, with Christy and Soul Shepherding. Bill, what is one thing that you love about Christy's personality? And Christy, what's one thing you love about Bill's? Well, I love how sensitive Christy is, and I love that she has learned to be uh, courageous and lean into being a woman with deep emotions, deep feelings, a tender heart, um, because she was raised in a context where that really wasn't a thing, and it was something she had a lot of hurt and, and shame over, but to see her be a courageous, wounded healer and confident expressing that side of herself because it blesses me so much. I, I just appreciate so much her empathy and compassion and tender tenderness. Thank you. <laughs> and about Bill, one of the things that I so appreciate about his personality, Bill is really earnest. He's, he's 
very devoted to Jesus, was earnest to do, to be all and only for Jesus, to do his best for the Lord. I also really respect and admire and appreciate your self-discipline, very, very self-disciplined, self-controlled, and really eager to be all that he can be in his life to bring glory to Jesus. And it, that includes as a husband to me. So he loves me very well, and I'm very grateful. I really enjoyed hearing that. It's fun to see how you two play off of each other's strengths, and you've got some things in common being next to each other on the Enneagram, and then some stark differences being in different triads, too. So that's really interesting. Well, speaking of personalities and emotions, I mean, how, how about that for a segue? Let's jump on into talking about faith and feelings today and, and really get into emotions. I, I love uh, looking at your book. I think there's a lot of books out there about the Enneagram but you really lean into the feelings piece and the emotions piece, which I think is so important. And when we talk about emotions, I think about our world today, I think about Christian culture, we're talking about emotions a lot more than we used to. We're looking at how important they are, how valuable they are. I think many of us were raised to think that any emotions other than joy and positive looking emotions were like from the devil, needed to be overcome. And I know, Christy, you really talked about that at the opening of the book. Is that something that you have noticed in recent times? Definitely. I think that one of the things we're recognizing is that in our culture today, they have learned the power of emotions and they're leveraging it. You just look at marketing and how they appeal to our emotions, how they're understanding that. And we have been hurt oftentimes by the neglect of emotions and by some of the teaching that was very prominent when I was a young woman, a young girl even in church and things like feelings are the caboose feelings only follow thoughts you can change your thoughts it will change your feelings and I was like well what's wrong with me because that doesn't work for me in fact my feelings often form my thoughts and influence my thoughts and I also felt a lot of shame about that and like there was just something wrong with me and it turned into a lot of shame and a lot of even self-hatred for being so emotional and for having strong feelings and feeling like I needed to hide those even in my relationship with God as a, as a young girl, I didn't think that it was okay for me to be emotionally honest with God. And yet emotional intelligence is the key to success in anything in life that, that's been researched. And that's also true for our faith and our relationships, that being uh, emotionally self-aware, being empathetic for other people, it is so important in our leadership, in our, our, our ministry. Uh, you are listening, your, your mission work, your sharing the gospel with people, having conversations with people as you're uh, building teams, working with, with churches, uh, maybe doing a, a, a job as a bivocational missionary. In every interaction, when we are good listeners and we pay attention to what people feel, they feel cared for, and then they're open to Jesus. Absolutely. And you've got missionaries uh, across the spectrum uh, with all different personality types. You've got some out there who are probably eight trailblazers who are feeling, you know, passion and some anger and some justice and they're fighting and they're probably not going real deep into some of the the feely feelings, as we would say. And then you've got some out there that are twos probably or fours or nines and maybe they're more in touch with some of those deeper feelings. And so I, I love what we're talking about today because I think that it applies to every single person. And that's what's great about the book is it applies to every person. We're not just trying to get everybody uh, to talk about their feelings, who hasn't talked about their feelings before. Again, some people just really have a hard time talking about their feelings. But for us to deny that we feel them is untrue and it's honest. So what's a good starting point for people uh, as they're beginning to think about their emotions, whether they are huge feelers or whether they are people who kind of deny that they have deep emotions? Well, a lot of people like me uh, need to learn the language of emotions. Uh, I'm not a feeler. I'm I'm a thinker and a doer, and uh, so I'm living in the gut triad of the Enneagram as an Enneagram one, and so I, I like to act and uh, and then think about things and uh, think about them some more and act some more, and and so the feelings sort of come along later when someone like Christy asks me, "Well, how do you feel?" And I, I learned from Christine, from others, to be more proactive, pay attention to my emotions and my needs. And so a lot of that comes down to learning the language of emotions. 
and often even feel or struggle to find the words, especially if they've been wounded in their heart, in their soul, in the area of their emotions. And so, I mean, it seems like such a simple thing, but to learn the language of emotions, I mean, part of it can be, it can be fairly simple. You read a book like Healthy Feelings, Thriving Faith, and you're going to you read about your Enneagram type, so we got a chapter on each type. Uh, you read about the, the core emotion of your type and and all the, the little more specific emotions that come under those big four of anger, shame, anxiety, and sadness, the big four emotions of distress. And there's lots of specific emotions there. And so learning the names of those emotions and what they mean, and then sitting down with somebody uh, like a spiritual director or a soul friend who who listens to you and helps you go, okay, wait a minute. Well, so what were you feeling there? It sounds like maybe you're feeling some frustration or uh, maybe you're feeling anxious about that. Tell, tell me more about that. And so when someone feels with us and for us, that's how we initially learn the language of those emotions. And what is so important about learning the language of our emotions? Why is it so important to be able to be specific about what it is that we're feeling? Well, there's many reasons why. One of those reasons is because it fosters intimacy. As I began to become more emotionally honest and aware in my relationship with God and my relationship with Bill, it greatly fosters the intimacy in my relationship with both God, with Bill, with others that I'm safe with in order to be able to be emotionally honest. When we are holding back our emotions, we're, we're, we're hiding a, a key aspect of our soul. And the other thing is when we are repressing our emotions, oftentimes that will come out in ways that are destructive, come out in ways that are destructive to us physically, oftentimes in the form of a sick, sickness or an ailment, a pain in our body. It will get disruptive sometimes where we repress emotions so much until all of a sudden we can't hold it down anymore, hold it in anymore, and we will act out in a way that's sinful or destructive, harmful to ourselves, to God, to other people. So repressing emotions really isn't a good option. And yet that often is what we do with our emotions. And so coming to understand our emotions, that they're a gift from God. Think about emotion. They, they get us moving. They, they motivate us. So we want to be able to have them brought into our relationship with the Lord. And we want to be able to be holy, even in this area of our emotional health. And we can be, that's the good news. But oftentimes, because we feel afraid, we avoid and we try to shut down our emotions. And oftentimes we've even been taught that we need to do that. I know as a little girl, I was told often by my mom, snap out of it, Christy, when I was having an emotion, when I was expressing an emotion, or I was sent to my room in isolation. If I had an emotion, I felt abandoned in that. And so those are some areas where I was wounded in my emotions, and that caused me some ways that then I began to treat myself the way I was treated, but it wasn't helpful or healthy for me, and it actually inhibited my own growth of my own emotional intelligence. So as I've gotten some greater understanding, healing, freedom in that area, my emotional intelligence has been able to soar, and that's something God's really been able to use for his glory. I appreciate that you brought that up about people being afraid, I think, of their emotions. I remember Christy going through that where I had some feelers in my life and some feelers who were maybe overwhelmed by emotions. And I saw their bleeding hearts and the the difficult things they were walking through. And I thought, I don't want to do that. That looks like that looks like a lot. I prefer to just kind of live in this state of not really going there. I remember saying at one point, I'm I'm too tired to feel all that. Like, that's too much work. I don't want to go there. I'm scared of what would happen if I went there. But to your point, for anybody who's listening, who's at that point, either I'm afraid to go there. I don't have time to go there. I don't want to go there. I don't want to turn into somebody who's crying all the time. To your point, well, number one, we're not going to turn into somebody who's crying all the time if we are somebody who is never crying. It's not like we're going to turn into a different human being. And second, we don't have to be afraid of it. And if we are and we repress it, as you're saying, it's going to come out. So what does it what does that look like for somebody who represses emotions either out of fear or out of, out of not wanting to go there? What does that usually manifest as? 
I mean, we might relate to many of the nine defense mechanisms, but we can predict the one that's probably the one that you're most likely to turn to. And defense mechanisms are natural. I mean, if you, if you go, if you have an accident in your car, your body goes into shock, and you know, we thank God for that ability to go into shock and absorb the, the pain of happening. Psychological defense mechanisms work the same way. The problem is that when they're operating unconsciously, if they are largely unconscious, then that's not actually helpful to us. Uh, we believe that the truth is always our friend. Uh, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Primarily, of course, he's speaking about the truth of, of God, the, the truth of knowing God through Jesus, himself, uh, the Holy Spirit. But related to that is the truth about our own selves, because uh, being self-aware actually affects our ability to be aware of God. Uh, and receiving love from people helps us receive love from God and vice versa. So it's all, all connected. So, uh, yeah. So like for you as a nine step, probably you relate to the defense mechanism of emotional numbing, it's sort of what you were describing there. And so mm -hmm. nine several way without realizing it, are numbing out or vegging out or disconnecting from or disassociating from inner emotion. That's the primary core emotion that uh, nines are usually dealing with is the repressed energy, repressed anger. But then the stress line for the nine is to the uh, six, which is a head type and an anxiety type. And so a lot of times nines relate a lot to anxiety and fear, including the fear of emotion, which then reinforces that emotional numbing pattern. You're absolutely right. And I remember... Going through all those things you just mentioned, I think at points of unhealth in my life and that when I first encountered the Enneagram and read all of that, I actually did cry. Ironically, I used to always say I'm not a person who cries. I don't ever cry. And I still don't cry a whole lot. But I remember when I first read that description, I cried because I thought, oh, my gosh, this is this is me. I didn't realize there were other people like me. I didn't realize this was a way people thought or felt. Um, I think that's part of the the power in the Enneagram is it. It calls you out in the best way possible. And I, I do want to address the Enneagram here for a second and invite you guys to share about that. I didn't start off talking about the Enneagram in the beginning of our interview because I know people, and I'm sure you've seen this too, have like a love-hate relationship with it. I have a love relationship with it. I'm a huge fan. It's been life-changing for me, uh, I think, in our marriage and all of my relationships. Um, I actually became certified as a coach in it because it was something that was so important to me. So I'm, I'm a fan, but I also, as a nine, can empathize really easily and can understand why for some people they, uh, they, they hate it. And because I think it's been used very poorly for a lot of people. I think a lot of people will throw it around using memes and go, you're such a five or you're such a seven and type people. And I would love for you guys to, to just share briefly what the Enneagram is for people who are wondering, what the heck is this actually? And then is it okay for Christians to engage with it? And how can it help us? How is it different than a different uh, personality tool? Well, such an important question, Stephanie. Thank you for your sensitivity on this subject. And that's something that Bill and I have felt and wrestled with as well. When we were first introduced to it about 30 years ago, we were kind of suspicious of it. And what is this like some astrological thing or some, you know, we weren't sure about it at all. Very concerned, didn't really look much into it. Of course, we learned all the other personality assessments and things that were very validated and researched through in our studies in psychology and found them to be very helpful and very powerful and really didn't give much credence to the Enneagram until some friends that we really respected, some dear godly friends of ours in the church and our small group, began to share how it was helping them. And then also, our, we've been mentored by Dallas and Jane Willard. And Jane Willard asked me about it. She had been meeting with somebody who had changed their marriage, saved their marriage. And so we began to learn it even together in a small group that we could go and retreat together. We're finding it to be very helpful in terms of exposing our root sins, our unconscious sin, and finding it to be a very helpful spiritual direction tool in that way. And yet a lot of people, I understand and I'm sensitive and I appreciate that they are earnest and want to be careful of tools out there and want to make sure that they're not strained from Jesus and his word. So I, I appreciate that they're careful about that. And you're right, there has been a lot of misuse. So 
it's kind of like the computer that we're using right now. We're on a laptop computer doing this podcast. That laptop has been spoken into, developed, created, and used by both Christians and non-Christians alike, people of all different religions. This laptop is a tool. I can use this te- laptop for good or for evil. And it's the same with the Enneagram. The Enneagram, while it originated in the early 300s by the Desert Father, Evagrius, who identified the seven deadly sins. And then since then, there were added the other two. That That's what the Enneagram is. It, Enneagram just means nine-point diagram. So it's each of the nine root sins. And then our personalities really being formed around those root sins as ways to try to secure ourselves. So if we understand the Enneagram rightly and, and helpfully through Christian worldview, we come to see that actually we each have a false self. And that's what our Enneagram type is. It's our personality. It's a false self of trying to secure ourselves, trying to succeed, trying to protect ourselves in a world where we have been hurt, we've been injured, we've been damaged by being sinned against by our own sin. And then there's a grace in each type as well, because each type also has a unique virtue where we can uniquely reflect the face of Christ, because Jesus is the perfection of each of the nine types. And he has and displays in his life all of the virtues, each of the nine virtues. And so that's, we really focus on that in Healthy Feelings, Striving Faith as coming to know Jesus as the perfection of your Enneagram type. And his empathy for you in your type of your root sin and your emotional alarm and defense mechanisms, feeling entrapped in your personality, and then how we could participate with his love and grace. We give soul care practices to grow in Christ-likeness. We also give empathy for each type to help us agree with God's grace for us and depend more on his grace instead of our own strategies for securing ourselves in our own personality. Yeah, and you do it so beautifully. It's really empowering. I think what I really love about the two of you is you always have such practical advice and steps and resources in all of the books and things that you put out. So as I was going through it and just even reading through my type, I mean, you've got specific things that that a nine can do to to grow specific and then and the specific challenges that a nine would deal with and with all the types. So for somebody who's reading through it, you're reading through it kind of going, okay, what am I identifying with in these? Which one of these numbers um, most is calling out to my heart? And sometimes you you need the help of a friend who knows you really well, especially if you've got big blind spots. I know some numbers are uh, have larger blind spots than others. And it's like, this isn't me. I couldn't possibly be this. You, you talked about it actually in your, in your book. I know, Chris, you were saying when you mentioned so gently to Bill that perhaps he might be a one. And, and Bill, you were like, I don't, am I really? Are you sure about that? Yeah, I, I was there putting it nicely, Stephanie. I'm not a one. I don't struggle with resentment. I don't like this test. I, I'm a three. I'm I'm a I'm a uh, achiever, you know, or I, I'm a seven. I'm an enthusiast. So uh, it's like, yeah, my defense mechanism is reaction formation, and so uh, I got angry, and I was like, oh, actually, this is this is really nailing me. Uh, but in a good way, because it's uh, it's opening my eyes to what I need to admit to, and it's giving me a path. So, yeah, what Chris is saying is that the Enneagram is not the be-all and end-all. It's just a tool. Uh, and when you put that tool in the hands of Jesus, and you're rooted in Scripture, uh, which is very easy, at least for us to do with the Enneagram, and that's what our book is all about. Uh, wow, it's so helpful, because like you're illustrating, Stephanie, now we can begin to predict some of the... the uh, sin struggle, the temptations, the, uh, the, the emotional challenges, the, like we were saying, the core emotion, the stress emotion. Uh, we can look at, well, what's the virtue we especially need to develop by working with God's grace? Uh, and what's the key soul care practice to get us there? And so we predict for each of the types, what, what's like the main soul care practice they probably most need to work on? And it's, it, what it helps you with is not just personal growth, as you're talking about, Bill, but you also mentioned too, it it impacts the relationships around you. So for me, as I grow in my type, my family has a little dance party because all of a sudden, you know, mom isn't just glazing over everything. I mean, I was overly positive, overly harmonious and minimized a lot of my family's feelings. I've got a family. They all have a lot of big feelings. 
And I was the great minimizer. I'm like, it's fine. Their intentions were good. Shake it off. No big deal. I grew up in a very positive family too with uh, parents who were two and seven. So real positive all the time. But I've got some feelers in my house who just needed to know like, hey, can you validate my feelings? Can you listen to what it is that I'm saying? Can you care for me in this way? And for years, I didn't. And the Enneagram actually helped me realize what I was doing. And it gave me some tools to change. And so I now like listen to my family and they just love it. And when they tell me something hard, I say, yeah, that sounds really hard. Tell me more about that. (laughs) It's been been a game changer. So for everybody who's listening, there's tools to help you and there's tools to help other people in your life. And I think about missionaries. So often they're working on teams. Uh, So you're working with not only your family, but you're working with other people. It it also helps you when you can figure out somebody's personality type. Again, not to stick somebody in a box or not to assume they are a number. But let's say that you realize that somebody is just very defensive and that's a part of their personality. Well, then you can learn how to change your communication to be more gentle, to come at it from a different approach, to give them grace in that area to hopefully make that a little bit easier in your working relationship. How have you seen it impact people in their relationships? Well, it's been super helpful to me to have this understanding and to be able to understand the type of somebody else that I'm in relationship with because it does increase my empathy for them and be able to see things through the lens that they are perceiving experiences in the world and even me. And that's often very different. And I, before understanding the Enneagram, I would have missed it. It also really informs my ability to pray for them. It's been such a helpful tool in helping me to intercede for other people and understand how to participate with God's love and grace in their life. It's been huge for that. It's been very eye-opening and helpful in terms of coming to recognize that my perceptions aren't always right on, that they are just often that, my perceptions, the way I'm seeing it. And it to be able to learn and benefit from somebody else who sees it very differently and to be open to that, that has been incredibly helpful too. And it's expanded then my ability to team with them for God's kingdom. It's been super helpful for you and I, Bill, even in our ability to love each other and to not react to each other because we have a greater sense of understanding of what the other one's experiencing and can that empathy helps us to be able to extend grace and love to each other more. Mm-hmm. I understand. Yeah, as you illustrated in your stories and mom stuff, mm. uh, for all of us, uh, our self-awareness greatly impacts our ability to be aware of and empathetic towards other people. And so I think that's uh, so important for you who are listening as missionaries, as Christian workers that are serving the Lord and sharing the gospel with people, doing life with them, loving them, discipling them to Jesus, because the call of the gospel is so great. And so we, we, we sacrifice, we pour out our, our life to develop these relationships and to lead people to Jesus. And it's, it's all about the people that don't know Jesus and, and helping them uh, come into an intimacy with God and, and the, the call of God upon their life. And of course it is. And yet if we lose ourselves in that work, and if we don't understand our, our own needs for soul care, and we don't take care of ourselves, we don't we don't take care of our own personality, then we burn out, where we get resentful and cynical. We don't we don't last on the mission field. We don't last in Christian work. So, paying attention to our own self and our own needs in the context of Scripture and prayer and Christian relationships actually proves to be one of the most loving things I can do because my ability to love other people goes up as I receive God's care in the places where I'm broken or have hurt feelings. So when I realize I've got this defense mechanism and I, I don't want this to just be operating unconsciously at me, or uh, we, we, we give you uh, an understanding of your emotional alarm, which is related to the defense mechanism. So we've been talking about the the nine and the, and the peacemakers. And we, we love nines and soul shepherding stuff. And we have so many nines that, that come into our ministry. Uh, one of the things that we've discovered is the nines make great spiritual directors. We train spiritual directors. Uh, and so that's probably a big part of the reason why we, a lot of nines connect with soul shepherding. 
emotional alarm for the nines is that you illustrated it earlier, Stephanie, but it's accommodating others. And it's really just like the, the, per, the strength of the personality type sort of getting uh, bent on, uh, out of uh, alignment uh, because to be sensitive to other people, like I affirmed Christy as a, as a two, as a helper, the beginning of the conversation, to be sensitive to others is a beautiful thing. But if that becomes people-pleasing and accommodating and, and losing yourself and not being able to say no, not being able to have any needs, not being able to say what you feel, not being able to say what restaurant you want to go to, you know, when you when you keep getting lost, you can get buried in that, and that's that's not going to be good for your soul. It's going to end up diminishing your ability to love. But then, as you shared, Stephanie, when you became more aware of your enneagram type and your needs and your your emotions and that that pattern to accommodate others, so you're waking up to what you feel. That actually then helped you to have more concern and care for your kids and what they were feeling. And that same principle applies to our ministry. Absolutely. I appreciate you, that you brought that up, Bill, because it is there's there's changes that happen in us as we find out who we are. And people don't need to be so scared of the Enneagram. And when you think about there's Myers-Briggs and there's the disc and there's I mean, there's all types of assessments out there and they're all intended to help us grow And this. As you said earlier, Christy, is just another tool. And so it's nothing freaky or weird. It's just really old. It's just very, very, very old and filled with a lot of wisdom. But it it causes us to change, I think, in significant ways. And some of that change, I think, is really awesome to the people around us. And then I think some of that change can be hard for people. I know as a nine, uh, when I started waking up to myself and being aware of what I actually wanted, or Christy, I don't know if you experienced this too, as people who tend to people please, all of a sudden when we realize what it is that we actually need and want, people are not used to us necessarily uttering what we need and want. And it can be like, wait, I thought you just went along with the flow. I mean, I like when an eight got healthy because they stopped yelling, but you now know what you want. So I'm not sure about that. So it's it's a, an interesting path of growth. And it's something I think for us to process with the people around us. Hey, I'm growing. Hey, I'm changing. This is the ways in which I'm becoming healthier. It's going to eventually be good for you too. But it's it is. It's a different path for each person. You know, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, and you had mentioned the four hurts. I appreciated the way that you articulated it because it's a little bit different than I think how I've heard it in other Enneagram books. Could you talk for a moment about the four hurts and how people can use those um, as, again, a starting point or an entry point into the Enneagram or into growing in their emotional and spiritual health? Well, those four hurts are anger, anxiety or fear and shame and then underneath the fourth one is sadness and so we tend to want to avoid these emotions want to repress these emotions but each of us have one of these core emotions that is unconsciously functioning under the surface motivating our behaviors that are really ways that we are trying to uh, use that emotion in order to get the things that we, that we want or that we need or ways that those emotions are driving our, our underlying behavior and motivation. And where we can bring those into the light of God's love and grace and truth. And we can then get in touch with what is the sadness? What is the loss? What is the need? And really get in trust, in touch with where is there a longing for God in that? that maybe is underneath that emotion or where can I bring that emotion, that sadness, that loss, that grief into my relationship with God to receive more of his grace. So like last night, Christy, I was having some, some frustration and um, the Enneagram helped me because instead of just doing my defense mechanism of reaction formation, or not listening to my emotional alarm. My emotional alarm is feelings of personal obligation. As a one, I will start to feel like, oh, there's a problem here uh, in our ministry, and I've got to fix it. Never mind, I've got 20 people on staff that could help here. I've got to fix it. And so waking up with the emotional alarm, wait a minute, it's not all up to me. I don't have to all, I have all the ideas. I don't have to do all the work. It's a, it's a blessing to collaborate, to share the work. Uh, and so... Hearing that alarm and knowing that I'm an anger type, I began to talk with you about how I was feeling. And then Christy helped me identify not just the anger 
that was in there that I don't like. Because that's the thing is that Christy said your core emotion is probably something you don't like and you deny. And so that's the tricky thing with personality that the Enneagram really helps us with is that so much of our personality is unconscious. So even though I'm a psychologist and I've like experienced therapy and I give therapy and I've like learned a lot over decades, I still fall into patterns of denying my core emotion of anger. So processing the events and the situations with you, Christy, last night, and you're giving me empathy. And then I'm realizing, wow, there's like a lot of inadequacy in there. There's a lot of shame in there. That's my stress emotion. It's a one. I have a stress line to the four, which is the individualist. And that's a shame type. And so then there was shame in there. And so Christy's helping me understand and she's giving me empathy for that shame. And so that, that's the way it works as, as we process. Right? See, I'm getting language for in this situation, this was actually going on. And then I got to a place where I was more relaxed and peaceful because I felt understood. Christy prayed for me. I received God's grace in that. And so I came back to myself and this morning I feel great. And it was a gift to me that you were able to be emotionally honest with me and invite me into what was going on for you. Because if you hadn't, and I was just perceiving the anger, I would have wanted to avoid that anger. I would have started orbiting around you, trying to plead you to try to secure myself and avoid that anger. And we would have started this dance that would have been unhealthy and based on our personalities. And instead, I was able to have a great empathy for you and even greater respect for you as you were taking courage to trust me with your emotions and bring them in the light of God's love. And then for me to be able to intercede for you and to, I did, I do have to confess, I did fall into temptation to try to fix a little bit as I was listening to you and to problem solve with you. And so I, I apologize for that, but to the extent that I was able to stay in empathy and understanding and listening, it, it's really been able to help me to not feel alone because we we share in a lot of these leadership in these circumstances to feel like, oh, he feels that too. And that that was a gift to me to know that too, but then to better be able to to pray as well, rather than just to try to depend upon my own limited resources, to try to help or fix. I appreciate it because you helped me to, to not just like go into that idealization of, oh, everything's going to be fine and gloss it over and be positive about it. Uh, but meanwhile, inside, I've got this growing sense of resentment and discouragement and it's draining my energy and, you know, trying to, you just try to sleep and then you probably don't sleep very good and then probably wake up grumpy and then I just try to be busy. And then, yeah, you would be feeling more and more distant mm-hmm. from me. And so what, if I'm unhealthy in my type, that can be hurtful and stressful for Christy, and then you can get more unhealthy in your type. Yep. And so now we're in that unhealthy dance versus being honest about it and using the language we get from the Enneagram helps to promote the, the health, the care, the intimacy, and being renewed as we serve God. Okay, Bill, that was such a fantastic example. I love that you both shared on that because we've been talking about like, why is it so important to have this language? Why is it so important to have self-awareness? So without that self-awareness that the two that you had, and then without Christy's awareness of you, as you said, you just would have been angry and you would have felt frustrated and you wouldn't have even maybe known you were angry. Sometimes we're angry and we don't know we're angry. And somebody says to us, we're angry. And we're like, I'm not angry. So you're just going around in this anger, not knowing why you're feeling, snipping at everybody around you, frustrated with yourself. And there's no solution in sight. It's just a hot mess of anger and frustration. But all of a sudden, when you've got the tool of the Enneagram, when you've got language, when you've got what you talk about in this book, you're able to go, hey, I'm angry. I can recognize what it is I'm feeling. Whoa, I can now recognize my defense mechanism. And I can stop and think, why am I feeling this way? Where is this coming from? What is the root issue? And then in processing it through with Christy, she's able to have empathy. And then all of a sudden you can come to a solution for you personally. You can bring it before the Lord and say, hey, Lord, I don't love feeling this way, but this is how I'm feeling. How can you help me through this day? Work on it through your relationship. I love it as an example, because I think sometimes people hear this and they think, how can I practically use that in my life? There, right there. That was an example of how when you feel one of those feelings, that anger, that shame, that anxiety or sadness, you can say, hey, what do I do with this? Okay. And so anger, shame, and and anxiety actually correlate to specific Enneagram types. Is that right? Yeah. So the gut types, that's the eight, nine, and one. Eights are challengers, Nights, like we've been talking about, are peacemakers and ones, usually called perfectionists, 
and we call them reformers. We wrote the book, so I, we got to change the title. I didn't like that the ones had a negative title. You know what? I have heard that from so many ones. One of my best friends is a one, and she's like, I hate the title perfectionist. And she actually uses reformer as well. So it must Good. be a thing. You're on to something. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So we, uh, the gut type, it's uh, the core emotion is anger. And anger is a reaction to broken boundaries. So uh, we unpack that, of course, in the book. We have whole chapter, two chapters on anger and help for anger. And then we, then we look at each of the three types of anger. And then the twos, threes, and fours. I was talking about the two because Christy's a two, which is a helper. And the threes are the achievers and the fours, the individualists. So the two, threes, and fours are the heart types. And the core emotion there is shame. And shame is essentially self-rejection. And uh, the heart types are distressed uh, in their, in their self-image and in how they perceive other people feel about them. And so they get very uh, tweaked around that in, in three different ways. Uh, and then the five, six, and seven, uh, that's the uh, fives are the observers. And the sixes are the loyalists. And the sevens are enthusiasts. And they're in the, they're in the headspace. And their core emotion is anxiety. Uh, the head types are flitting about a lot. Uh, I've been there, done that. I'm the next thing. Uh, the multitasking. Uh, lost into short attention span, uh, and they have some issues with fear and anxiety as their core emotion. But we say anxiety is a repressed emotion, essentially what anxiety is. Fear is very specific. We're afraid of something, we're afraid of rejection, afraid of public speaking, and this kind of thing. But anxious anxiety is, ge- is general, and we feel anxious when we've been repressing other emotions, primarily fear if you're in the headspace. But uh, also, we repress anger, uh, we repress shame, we repress, all of us struggle with repressing sadness. And so that's the uniqueness of our book. Uh, there's really two uniquenesses. So it's not just an Enneagram book. It's really a very specific take on the Enneagram that it's unique and that we're helping you understand your emotions as it relates to your personality type in your relationships. Because the emotions are the window to the soul. They're not the be-all and end-all, but they are the entry point. We, we ask somebody, you know, how are you? We mean, like, how do you feel? It helps us to go deeper. It helps us to connect. As Christy says, it helps us to be, be motivated when we're aware of our emotions. And it opens up emotional intelligence because uh, our, our feelings are a source of wisdom, not the only source. Of course, our thinking is very important as, as well. We can go to the Bible for truth. Uh, but we read the Bible, and if we read it well, we're going to have some feelings about it. And that helps us in our relationship with God. And the second thing that's unique about our book is we're leading uh, you, uh, the reader, to Jesus. And Christy talked about that some earlier, but we're showing you Jesus in your type. And we're going back to the Gospels and telling you stories about Jesus as the perfection of your type to give you that uh, vision of who you can be by God's grace and by walking on this path with Jesus and using the tools that we give you you can learn to become a healthier, more loving version of your personality type. It was really a goal for us that our readers, if they read our book, would just find themselves worshiping Jesus more and more. And as they finish the book, to just be more and more enthralled with Jesus and how beautiful and glorious and loving and good and gracious he is. And also being able to receive more of his love and grace through his empathy for them. Yeah, I mean, I just celebrate each of the nine faces of Christ. Each each enneagram yeah. type in its in its health and perfection is another face of Jesus. Mm. Well, and it, it makes me think of um, the book Gentle and Lowly, where Dan Ortland talks about how we can run to Jesus, and He loves to help us in in our weaknesses. Like He loves it. He loves when we run to Him in our weaknesses. And so I look at this, so often we discover our Enneagram type by looking at our hurts, by looking at our defense mechanisms, by looking at some of the negative things. That's how we can find out who we are. But once we've kind of identified those and seen our weaknesses, we can run to Jesus, as you said, and he is there ready and willing to take us, not just ready and willing, it's it's beyond willing, eager, eager to embrace us and help us show who we can be in him. So we're fully loved at every stage of health. Mm-hmm. But of course, he loves us so much that he's not going to lead us, leave us that way. 
he's calling us into who he's made us to be. And I love reading stories now in the Bible, like what you were saying, and just reading some of the things Jesus said, some of the things Jesus did and thinking, oh, I see the four side of Jesus there. Oh, I see the seven side of Jesus there, you know, or watching the chosen and just noticing all the different aspects of him. He is, he's all of it as God. He has all of that goodness in him. And so he can relate to each one of us wherever we're at. So no number is better than another, even though I feel like everybody wants to be a seven some days. No number is better than than the other one. And we are all an amazing reflection of who he's made us to be. I can't thank you both enough for coming on and sharing on that today. I know we just barely skimmed the surface. People usually after hearing about the Enneagram, especially today, I feel like they're going to be left with way more questions than answers. And they're probably you know, not going to feel necessarily confused, but just really be wondering what this is all about. Um, So obviously we want them to pick up the book, make sure to pick up Healthy Feelings, Thriving Faith to not only find out your type, but to uh, find out just more how to grow in health and how to be better in your relationships with one another. What are other ways that people can connect with soul shepherding and the many resources that you both have to offer? Well, if you go to soulshepherding.org slash Enneagram, You'll find the write-up on healthy feelings, thriving faith, growing emotionally and spiritually through the Enneagram. We have a secondary book on the Enneagram called Your Enneagram Map that we self-published. You'll find that there. You'll find a link to a free Enneagram and Emotions Assessment where you can each question to help you determine your Enneagram type asks you about your emotional experience within your type. And so that's free and you get immediate results. You get uh, immediate uh, recommended recommendations for your Enneagram type. We have a video course as well that unpacks the material in the book, also called uh, Enneagram and Emotions. Uh, and then the best thing would be if you come to Soul Shepherding Institute Retreat Week and spend five days with Christy and me in a community of 40 missionaries, pastors, other leaders, virtual directors, coaches, all Christians that are serving the Lord. Come with your spouse or come alone and be in a beautiful venue. And for five days, we'll go deeper with Jesus. We'll help you experience a really authentic community that will be nourishing and encouraging for you, mentor you in the practice of spiritual disciplines like solitude and silence, and scripture meditation, and soul talk, and talking with the spiritual director. Uh, so that's our, our Soul Shepherding Institute retreats. And we often have missionaries who will join us by Zoom on that because of the international travel sometimes being challenging. So that is definitely an option for you. If you can't make it in person to a retreat, it's still available to you to participate. A lot of people will be able to go to a place in their area where they can still have boundaries around their regular life and work in order to really come away with Jesus. But then to get the, the guidance, the community, the training, the teaching, to participate in the rhythms of life with us all. Um, we found Zoom participants really appreciating, loving, and benefiting, being very fruitful or renewing for them. So we would love to have any of you and the, the modern day community here to join us on a Social Media Institute retreat. There's four different themes around those. One is spiritual formation. Another is spiritual and psychological development. Another is soul care ministry, and another is relationally healthy leadership. And if you want to go all in, we, we offer a training program, a certificate in spiritual direction or a certificate in coaching. And this can be applied to your work as a missionary. Oh, that's fantastic. And I believe Amy mentioned to me too, um, who works over at Soul Shepherding, that there is also a like a monthly membership where they can have access to Soul Shepherding resources. Is that right? That's right. That's the Soul Shepherding Network, and that's available. You can find more information on that at soulshepherding.org as well. At our network, we've got a vault of resources there, as well as some groups available in there. So that would be something to check out as well as in our store. Lots of resources, both electronic versions of our books, audio books. I know missionaries sometimes prefer that over the physical because of storage space and traveling, but we would just love to support you and resource you personally, your NMC with Jesus, your growth, and your emotional and spiritual health and effectiveness for a fruitful ministry. One more way we can do that is called healthy pastor care or healthy missionary care. So that's where you can receive regular spiritual direction. As a missionary, we have missionaries on our staff of senior spiritual directors who uh, will listen to you, care for you. Also, we have leadership coaches. Uh, and we have coaches. 
in healthy pastor care, you can sign up for a program of re- receiving regular spiritual direction. And I mean, our ministry exists for you who are listening. Soul Shepherding exists to help missionaries and pastors. Wow. This excites me because I did not know about any of these types of resources about soul shepherding, any of this when I was on the field. And I think how much better could I have done for those around me had I known that these types of resources existed. So just thank you from all of all of the missionaries who are listening and people in member care. Um, thank you for what the two of you do. Thank you that instead of becoming, you know, creating a thriving practice and having a zillion clients, you guys are brilliant. So you could have done that. You have taken what God has put on the inside of you, um, and you have channeled it towards helping the helpers. So we always say on the podcast, we want you to be well so you can serve well. And that's really what you do. You help people be well. So on behalf of all of us, thank you for what you do. And thank you again so much for coming on today. Well, it's a joy and honor. Thank you, Stephanie, for the work that you're doing in the Modern Missionary Podcast and all the uh, encouragement and wisdom and resources and care that you're bringing to missionaries and others. And thank you, each of you who are serving the Lord and being faithful to him on mission for him. We are, it's, it's our joy to be able to bless you and get just a little piece of the work that you're doing that we, we couldn't do, but we can team together with you and for the kingdom of God. And you, you matter. God sees you, he loves you and wants you to receive the care that you need in order to be able to overflow and to the people he's called you to serve. Amen to that. Well, thank you again, Bill and Christy, so much for being with us today. And to everyone else who's listening, we will look forward to seeing you on our next episode. Since 2008, Modern Day Missions has been providing financial, administrative, and marketing services to Christian missionaries around the globe. We're currently partnered with more than 750 missionaries in 75 different nations. If you or someone you know are looking for a nonprofit covering to fulfill your mission's vision, Modern Day could be the answer you're looking for. Find out more at modernday.org.